Lord, we all come before you this morning in our individual places and just unite our hearts in you. United by the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins. That through faith in him we have found forgiveness and repentance of sins. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we take this time to study your word and to know you more. Lord, I pray that you would just help me to, to speak through me during this time. Lord, we, we recognize that this is not the format we prefer and at times can be limiting, but we know that you are an almighty God who can work through any medium. So I ask that you would do that here and now as we walk through your word. Be with us, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we have been in this series since August. And this is what we typically do here at Parkside. We pick a book of the Bible and we just work through it verse by verse, week by week. And today we have come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what is often known as the love chapter, right? Maybe you've heard this chapter read at a wedding or you had it read at your very own wedding. Now, while these truths are very applicable to a marriage, that is actually not the intended audience of this chapter. Chapter 13 is addressed to the church, specifically to a local church, a, a local church in the ancient city of Corinth, but more broadly addressed to every church even here today. Now, if you aren't familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, or maybe you just kind of forgot some of the details since we have been studying this for several months now, uh, the church at Corinth, uh, it's easy to say it's a mess. Uh, Pastor Chris has mentioned in previous messages that uh, sometimes the book resembles an episode of Judge Judy or the Jerry Springer show. Uh, we've had some instances of wild parties at church meetings. We've got members fighting with each other. We even have people sleeping around with their stepmom. I mean, the church at Corinth has had a lot of issues that the Apostle Paul has continued to address in this letter. Paul has been helping followers of Jesus see that their life is now changed in Jesus. You see, their identity has shifted from an old way, a self-centered way of pursuits that just look like everybody else around them, and has shifted to a new identity, a new identity in Jesus that is focused on loving others, focused on helping others see Jesus. Paul has been answering a series of questions and addressing several issues that have come up in the church. Here in chapter 13, he, he seems to kind of be shifting his tone ever so slightly. Paul switches from a, a reactive posture of answering questions to a very proactive proclamation of how followers of Jesus Christ should love one another. He establishes the expectations of how a church should regard one another how the family of God should reflect their Savior. This identity of a family is really important to understand 1 Corinthians. The church is not some random group of people. It's not some club. We don't pay membership dues for a certain amount of benefits. We are a family. The church is not a building we go to. We don't go to church on Sunday. The followers of Jesus are the church, right? Our, our current circumstances are reminding us of that very clearly. 
We are still a church family, even though we can't be together in our regular meeting place. Now, our our current circumstances of the COVID-19 quarantine has also shown us that extended time spent together as a family can be a lot of fun, but it can also be pretty stressful. Being a family is not easy, and at times, we just don't like each other. But you know what? As family, we always love one another, and we work. We work to show that love through all circumstances. Paul takes chapter 13 to show us that the family of God, the church, is no different. We are family. We always love one another and work to show that love through all circumstances. There are three sections to this chapter. First, we see our potential failures if we don't conduct ourselves as a loving family. Second, there is ongoing work to being a a loving family. And lastly, being a loving family gives future longing, longing for the future. I want you to think on those things as I read our passage together here this morning. Follow along in your copy of God's word as I read 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. That has been the reading of God's word. The first section we want to look at here this morning is the potential failures of conducting ourselves as a church family without love in verses 1 through 3. When we lose sight of love as a church family, we easily slide off into these distracting ditches that keep us off the mission of Jesus. The passage mentions the speaking in tongues, 
a spiritual gift described in chapter 12 and later in chapter 14. Now, there are a lot of specifics on what these gifts exactly are and how they should be used. And Pastor Justin will be covering those over the next two Sundays as we study chapter 14. But it's obvious from the previous and the following chapters that the church at Corinth had a lot of questions about spiritual gifts, but were also misusing them within the church. That is why Paul ends chapter 12 by stating that the more excellent way is love. Spiritual gifts really don't matter if they aren't used with love for the purpose of loving the family of God. If you try to live life as a church just using your gifts in order to show off or demonstrate what you can do, then you are nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You have lost the meaning of life together in the body of Christ. Love fills life with meaning. He goes on. He goes on to describe that there are those who are filled with great faith, so much faith that they could even move mountains, but they don't have love. They are nothing. Their faith has missed the point if it doesn't lead to love. There are people who have a great deal of Bible knowledge and have learned a lot of stuff about God and theology. But you know what? Without love, they are nothing. Their knowledge is disconnected without love to apply it. There are people with the prophetic powers to proclaim the truth of God's word to others in the church. But if they don't do it with love, they are nothing. Paul is is speaking of those small moments when we share something with a, a brother or sister in Christ that we feel the Holy Spirit is really pressed upon our heart. But if we do that without love, our speech is vacant and pointless. You see, we are truly recognized by our love and not by mere words or what we know. Love fills life with identity. Lastly, a generous person is described here at the beginning. Someone who is willing to give away all that they have. Or someone really that that gives completely of themselves. But if they do it without love, they lose it all. The church is not a place to give your money to earn favors from others or to earn favors with God. The church is where you give back to God what God has given you so that people may know the love of God you have experienced. The church isn't the place where you spend all of your time and all of your talents just to be recognized by other people or to get God's attention. The church is where you come to direct your attention off of yourself and onto others. To direct your attention off of yourself and onto Jesus the one who lovingly gave everything to bring us together. Love fills life with purpose. If we do the things of life without love, then we have failed. 
If we think love is a, a list of things that we do, then we have failed. If we miss the love of God, then we have missed what we were created for. Love is what we were created for. Love is experienced outside of ourselves in God. God in three persons, eternally abounding in love. God created humans to be loved by him. It's our purpose. It's our identity. It's the very meaning of life. Love fills life with meaning and identity and purpose. Love is not something we have for God or something we should do for each other. Love is something that God has done for us and that we reflect back onto one another. Love isn't something you do. It's something you reflect. Ephesians 5 tells us this. It says, be imitators of God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This verse illustrates for us what it looks like to reflect the love that Jesus has shown us. This is a love that encompasses all types of love. It is unique and, and affectionate, like a romantic love. It is caring and supportive, like a platonic love. It is sacrificial and protective, like a self-love. The love that God has for us and that we are to have for one another is love to the fullest. If you have missed the purpose of life and placed meaning in something else, or you're finding your identity in someone or something other than the love of Jesus, I pray that you would find it here this morning. I pray that you would be drawn into a relationship with your creator and savior. Your sin has broken that relationship, but the love of Jesus can heal it. And those who personally know the sacrificial love of Jesus, we are gathered as the family of God, the church, for the purpose of showing love to one another so that the world may see and know the love of God. In fact, our, our love for one another is what we will be known for. To fail to have love is to fail at being the family of God. As all of us know, being family isn't easy. At times, we must work at being a family in order to push past the disagreements and the annoyances. Being the family of God, a church, is no different. That is why Paul goes on in verses 4 through 7 to show us that there is an ongoing work to have love for one another. But as each member does that individual work of truly loving one another, it builds the church into that family identity. Loving each other as the church is, is hard. It's difficult to navigate at times. And, and many times, let's be honest, it's frustrating. People can just be annoying. 
But you know what? So is loving humans, loving you and me. In the Old Testament, God loved his people through idols, rebellious disobedience, and just empty promises. But in spite of all their running away, the common descriptor of God's response was his steadfast love. We see that continue into the New Testament as God came into humanity as Jesus and lived the life we cannot to pay the penalty of sin we should. His love for us cost him everything. Remember, love love isn't something you do. Love is something you reflect. Loving one another will cost you something. It may cost you a lot. Love is an ongoing work. You know, throughout my life, I've had a lot of different jobs. I mean, a lot of different jobs. I have worked in a warehouse. I even, for a short period of time, I was actually a gum taste tester in college. I mean, I've done a lot of different jobs. And as many of you know, when you get a new job, there is training, right? You've got that orientation, kind of go through. You learn what to do and you learn what not to do on your job. You're given instructions with some kind of common operating procedures. With love, this passage gives us those common operating procedures. It sums that list up nicely in verse 7 where it says, love bears all things, love believes all things, love love hopes all things, love endures all things. Let's look at that. Love bears all things, right? Love bears all things by being kind, but by not being arrogant or rude. In love, we contain ourselves and we hold fast to other people. Love is recognizing it isn't about you. Love believes all things, right? Love believes all things by rejoicing in the truth and not envying or boasting. In love, we trust without suspicion. Love is placing confidence in each other. Love hopes all things. You know, love hopes all things by not rejoicing in wrongdoing, by not insisting on our own way, by not being resentful. In love, we do not keep record of past failures. Love is inspiring each other to be like Jesus. Love endures all things. Love endures all things by by being patient and not being irritable. In love, we go through hardships together. And in love, we enjoy blessings together. Love supports each other no matter what. Love. Love in all things without reservation. Now, when I describe an incautious love, there are some of you who, who make it, may get a little worried, right, about going too far. You want to know, what are the safeguards? Are we to love so much that we get hurt 
Or do we love so much that we enable people? If you're thinking that, I, I would say two things quickly. One, just err on the side of love and not on suspicion. Yes, we use discernment. But you know what? Love is not overly cautious. You will most likely be occasionally hurt by people. But you know what? We know the love of God. So we know that the love of God will be there to, to heal us and to restore us. The second thing I would say is there are limits. And those limits are sin. That is why we have the process of, of church discipline laid out for us in Matthew 18. So we can lovingly help people come back from sin. We practice church discipline in order to love people back to Jesus. It serves as a guardrail so that our love doesn't enable people to sin. And honestly, this is why church membership is so important. It is the process of telling each other that you want to be loved to Jesus no matter what. It helps us love people in all things without hesitation. So now you can show love. Now, I, I want to be clear. You can show love and not be a follower of Jesus Christ, right? The common grace of God gives everyone the ability to show some degree of sacrificial love. But what this passage does is it takes that common grace level of love and raises it. What Paul is saying is that in the family of God, our love for one another knows no limits. The love we have for one another as followers of Jesus Christ is at times extreme. The love we have for our fellow brothers and sisters surrenders personal preferences and gives graciously and generously. So when we come together as his church, we love each other as those who are fellow blood-bought heirs with Christ. Yes, love is an ongoing work, but love, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. If you find yourself looking to assess your, your ongoing work at love, just simply ask yourself this question. Am I loving as God has loved me? Because remember, love is not something you do. It is something you reflect. You're reflecting the love God has given you. Pastor Stephen um, puts it really well this way, where he says, all this time we've been playing the game of love as if our lives depend upon it, while Jesus, love incarnate, has been trying to break in and say, love is dependent upon my death. You get to live and love because I did in love, for love, for you, my love. It's powerful when you stop and you reflect on the love of Jesus Christ. 
as we have looked at the potential failures of living without love and the ongoing work of love, I want to turn your gaze now back towards Jesus. For you see, when we have love for one another, it reminds us of the love Jesus has given us. And when we, as a church family, are practicing love, it gives us future longing. A future longing for the day our love will be made complete. And we will see Jesus face to face. Oh, I can't wait for that day. The day when I see Jesus. But until that day, but until I see him as through just a a dim mirror, only in part. But one day I, I will see him face to face and I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. But until that perfect day comes, I am left with a partial view of eternity. The partial view is still a beautiful vista to look upon. That partial view is the family of God, the church gathered in love to show love through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see, when the the church comes together and uses their gifts, we show Jesus. That's why we are called the body of Christ. Together, we demonstrate Jesus. All the spiritual gifts, all of them can be seen in Jesus. He, He showed us all of them in his life. So it makes sense that when we come together as a church family and use our spiritual gifts in love, we demonstrate him. When we lovingly come together. One day, gifts will pass away and they will cease. But until that day, they give us a glimpse of the full view of Jesus in all of his majesty, in all of his strength and power. Right now, we see Jesus through a dim mirror. But the clearest view of Jesus we have is in the life we live with one another in love. We see this in the way our church family responds to when a loved one is lost and we rally together to show love and support and to help. We see this when someone in our Sunday school class is struggling in sin and we step in to love them back to Jesus And we help them fight sin together in love. We see this glimpse of Jesus when we love an immature follower of Jesus who, who is still a child in their faith. And we disciple them to think and act as a mature disciple of Jesus. As we function as the the body, the family of God, we see a glimpse of Jesus. You see, we do these things of life. It's, it, if we do these things of life without love, then, then we truly have failed. We have missed what we, have cre- what we were created for. Each of us as, as individual members work to truly love one another, to build the church into that family identity so we can reflect together the image of Jesus to each other and to the world around us. 
when the church comes together and uses their gifts, we demonstrate Jesus Christ. In his book, The Rule of Love, Pastor Jonathan Lehman frames it really well when he says it this way. He says, a church can display the love of God unlike anything else because of what God has made it. A church is the family of God, which means it experiences something like parental and brotherly love. It is the bride of Christ, which means it's the recipient of exclusive and tender love. It is the body of Christ, which means members practice loving each other like a person the different parts of his body. It is a holy nation, which points to something like love of country. How many metaphors for the church does scripture supply? A flock, a vine, a temple, a people, a priesthood, a pillar and buttress of truth, and so on. A church requires all of these metaphors to describe its supernatural uniqueness and to embody the many aspects of love. Now, now would have been the time that uh, if we were together in our church auditorium, I would have directed your attention to our back wall to see our mural project come together, right? If you remember several Sundays ago, we gave out over 50 individual canvases for you to paint and to bring back. And the goal was to show how those 50 canvases come together to, to form one big, beautiful mural. Now, I want to encourage you, please, keep working on those canvases um, and bring them, bring them into the church office when you get a chance. What we would love to do is assemble that mural on our first Sunday back together after this quarantine, whenever that is. So that way, that mural can serve as a reminder of our collective love for each other, but also, but also create within us a future longing for when that love will be fully seen in the face of our Savior Jesus. Just like I long for the day when we are out of this crazy quarantine and we can see each other. We can give each other a hug, finally. As we long for that day, may it remind us of that future longing. And I long for the day when together, side by side, we see the clear and brightly shining face of Jesus. Until that day, look for where you can practice love in the church. You know what you should do? You should join a Sunday school class with groups meeting digitally. This, this is the perfect time to hop in. Email Pastor Justin. He will gladly help you get connected. And it's really quite convenient to watch the, the lessons on your own time and each class is meeting at different times. That you can get together and, and start that connection and I'm longing for that day when we're together in the same room. You know what? This is a time to be a prayer warrior. A prayer warrior for each other. You know what you should do? Is you should send a text or a card of encouragement saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Another thing you can do is adopt a family or an individual that you notice just there off to the side. Show them some love. Maybe as you have listened this morning, 
the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart about a broken relationship within the church. Repair that relationship. Repair it with love. FaceTime that person this afternoon. Just ask for forgiveness. Lastly, I would encourage you to learn your spiritual gifts and use them. Figure out how the Holy Spirit has blessed you and then get to work. Don't uh, go out begrudgingly mowing grass in the park, but do it with love. Do it for, with love for God and love for one another. Over the next two weeks, Pastor Justin will be helping us through chapter 14. And that will really give us a better understanding of what our gifts are and how we can use them. But you know what? Chapter 13 here this morning has given us a very clear message, a clear warning of the potential failures. It has directed us to the ongoing work of love, and it has inspired us to that future longing. It concludes with a simple reminder. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Love gives us hope. And because we have hope, we can love. Love is the greatest pursuit of life. Ask yourself this thing. Are you loving as God has loved you? Where have you failed to love? What ongoing work does your love need? And how can you long for the future with love? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word and the power in which it speaks into our lives and the ways in which you guide us. But Lord, I, I thank you that you first loved us. We know love because we know it from you. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family, even in these unique circumstances, to, to love each other, to demonstrate that. And Lord, as, as this longing is stirred in our hearts for the day where we can be back together and to be a family, a church family together, may that longing just inspire even greater longing for the day we gather in the throne room of heaven and worship you and praise you for the love that you have given us. And we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.